Welcome to Startup Stereo, the German Accelerator podcast with and for founders, innovators, and changemakers. Plug into expert tips, experiences, and best practices around scaling, leadership, new work, and much more. My name is Katrin Grunwald. I'm a coach, mentor, and founder of the Globe Team, the consultancy for team and organizational development. I'm happy to be your host for Startup Stereo, a podcast powered by German Accelerator. German Accelerator empowers high-potential German startups to scale globally. Today's guest is Andy Goldstein, co-founder of German Accelerator, head of Deloitte Digital, and serial entrepreneur. We talk about Andy's perception of crises, or as he rather calls them, breakdowns, since according to him, every breakdown is the opportunity for a breakthrough. We also talk about pitfalls that entrepreneurs can trap into and solutions to bring your business successfully through a time of breakdown. Towards the end of the conversation, we talk about digital transformations and Andy's personal experience as an American living in Europe for more than 35 years now. A very insightful exchange with lots of great anecdotes based on Andy's career experiences. So without further ado, enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the fourth episode of Startup Stereo and a warm welcome to our guest today, Andy Goldstein. Hi, Catherine. Well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. Um, so also as someone linked quite closely to the German Accelerator, and um, we will talk about experiences from crises, recessions, your own experiences from the past, and especially the current situation we're in right now. But let's start first with an introduction of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do so. So um, as you can hear, I'm American. Um, I, I came to Germany 35 years ago. I, I used to be called Andy Goldstein. And then I was explained uh, that I was pronouncing my name wrong. So now I'm Andy Goldstein and my children are Goldstein as well. So a little bit of cultural uh, experience there right at the very beginning. And I am an entrepreneur since day one. I studied entrepreneurship and international business at the Wharton Business School in Philadelphia. And at the age of 21, I couldn't find anyone to hire me to run their international business. So I decided with my college roommate uh, to start my own. We decided that this new IBM PC was going to be a big hit and there would be a need for software. And we figured that the, um, uh, the Europeans might be a little behind the Americans in developing that. So we came up with the idea to license U.S. software, and we picked Germany because it was the largest market for translated software. We figured the Americans would go to England by themselves, which actually they did. And so it sounded like a great idea. Maybe one of the problems was that I had absolutely never touched a computer in my life, so I had no technical background. My, my partner was the tech guy. I, with my 21 years of incredible business experience, was the business expert. And we spoke no German and we had no money. So, and we had no software. So it, there were a few um, hiccups along the way. And um, that led pretty much to a 12 year disaster where I um, moved to Germany, uh, lost $850,000 of family, friends and fools money over about 12 years. 
and then finally figured it all out and turned it around and paid everybody back two to one and closed my first company after 14 years. And so maybe that's also important from a German accelerator perspective because I am one of the founders of the German accelerator. Um, actually in Germany, together with Dietmar Harhoff, uh, we kicked the whole thing off. And one of the reasons that we wanted to do this was because you know, when I came to Germany, it took me 14 years to get back to zero. And my view on the German accelerator was if I can help, uh, if I can help a company fail in two years instead of fail in 14 years, I've really done a huge benefit for them. And if we can go a step further and say, why do we have to fail? Let's get them the right network. Let's put them together with the right kind of investors. Let's show them what's really going on in the market. You know, when I showed up in Germany, not only didn't I speak the language, I also didn't have any contacts. I also didn't have any really understanding of the way the market worked. And all of those things is what's gone into making the German Accelerator, you know, what it is today. So my my um, my second company I started in 1997. Uh, my first partner and I, by the way, are still friends. We go skiing together, but we don't do business anymore. We've had enough after 14 years. Um, was bringing consumer software over to Europe. Um, I could speak German. I knew what I was doing. I had all the right contacts. Uh, the internet was taking off, and I built that company in Germany in 97, just by myself, a 25,000. Deutschmark at that point, um, GmbH, and um, and then found a partner in England in 98, and she and I uh, took over a little French company then in 99, and in 2000, uh, 2003, I actually sold that company. We were doing around $7 million in revenue, and I sold it to a French public company that was in the publishing, software publishing business, and I became chief operating officer for Avonquest Software. Uh, for about five years, I had a two-year earnout. I stayed on for five years, and then I stayed another seven years on the board of directors of the company. In 2007, I had the opportunity to co-found the uh, the Entrepreneurship Center at the Ludwig Maximilian University, uh, also with Professor Dietmar Harhoff. And um, and so there, we've now had over the 13 years, 330 companies come out. Um, we've had some very big ones like a Flixbus and other auto one, so a couple of unicorns that started there. Um, and then we saw this even bigger market out there for helping companies go abroad. And that's where the German accelerator uh, began um, uh, about eight years ago now. And um, also was uh, lucky enough to join together with a couple other universities and started the Social Entrepreneurship Academy about um, 10 years ago, including also the the Global Entrepreneurship Summer School, which runs in four countries now, um, in uh, also 10 years ago. And essentially then in um, around 2014, I started to see a very strong uh, need of corporates wanting to go into the uh, digital market and wanting to understand how do you build accelerators and how do you get yourself to the next level and how do you digitize and so forth. And um, and I had the idea to build to start a company builder uh, actually to build you know startup as a service start building companies for corporations and I happened to have the head of innovation from Deloitte uh, bringing uh, projects into my master's class that I teach at the university and one day after class I told him I was going to start this company builder and he said why don't you come to Deloitte and do that and I said you know I guess I don't always have to start everything myself. That's true. I can do that. And so I, I did. I, I went to Deloitte uh, with a couple partners uh, back in um, 
2014, and we we launched the first business building unit of the, the largest professional service company uh, globally. And that's been a really incredible opportunity because I've gotten to understand like what does it mean to be a corporation. Why is everyone talking about corporates and startups working together? But the reality is they don't really fit very well together. I have a little joke that I say, which is that when a startup and a corporate shake hands and they say, let's get started now, the startup looks at their watch and the corporate turns around and looks at the calendar on the wall, right? And so, you know, how do you bring those things together? Um, that's, that's really what um, Deloitte Digital has been has been about over the past uh, the past years, and um, and then I think it's also very important to mention that I'm married uh, for uh, 30 years now. I just celebrated my wife and I celebrated our 30th anniversary uh, in June this year. I have two kids; uh, one is 25 and one is 22, and um, and, and my fam- family first is definitely still my motto. So um, that's a little bit of a background about me. And I hope that's also helpful because at least you can hear that I have been through a few crises. Absolutely. And let's look at your experience as a serial entrepreneur with crises coming along the way. Um, Especially now, I think it's interesting. We're recording this episode end of July uh, 2020. And just yesterday, large GDP drops have been announced and I think it's always a good moment to to look at the past and learn and take lessons learned from the past. So let's start in general with your definition of what's a crisis for you. So that the, the last word you said is the most important well, you. Right? What is a crisis for you? And I think this is really an essential piece of the puzzle to understand. Because the world around you is in crisis does not mean you are in crisis. Because there is a massive drop in the economy, because there is a massive virus does not necessarily mean that you are in crisis, nor does it necessarily mean that your company is in crisis. However, you know, and maybe let's, let's, let's even take it a little bit further. Let's not call it crisis. Okay. Let's call it breakdown. Let's call it a breakdown. And I think that the, you know, the very first thing that, that an entrepreneur needs to do when things are not going well is actually to identify, am I in breakdown? Am I in breakdown or is it just sort of a bad trend, right? Like when I always say that something goes wrong once, you, you know, you should try and correct it. Once it goes wrong twice, you have a pattern. And once it goes wrong three times, you have a trend and once you have a trend, you must start to make changes, right? So, but the first thing is to identify. And what I often say is that it's important, actually, once you have identified, we are in breakdown, we are in crisis, that you have to declare it for yourself and for your company so that everybody knows we are in crisis. Like almost like officially, we have a crisis we have a breakdown, right? Because that just by saying that you're in crisis and that you are in breakdown opens up a new way of thinking for yourself and for everybody else. You do things differently. Things, the rules that you had before do not apply any longer. Now they are simply put aside. I mean, and I think that if we, and there's this great saying, which is anybody who knows me for more than 
I don't know, three months who's worked for me or with me or, you know, we started things together knows that my favorite saying is every breakdown is the opportunity for a breakthrough. And I know that that really does sound like one of those corny slogans you see on the walls in American offices. It's a when you calendar, yeah. <laughs> exactly, you know, with the, the pretty pictures and things like that. Every breakdown is the opportunity for a breakthrough, right? Oh, yeah, we've heard that before. If it's a slogan on the wall, it's totally not helpful. If it is a, a way of being, a way of thinking, it's massively helpful. Because if, you're, if your attitude is, Every breakdown, and the, and the most important word in that, in, that, in that sentence, there's only eight words, is every. You see, and I think this is an important thing for, for entrepreneurs to understand. You do not get to choose your crises. You do not get to choose your breakdowns. Yeah? I mean, in my, you know, in my life, I have to say the biggest crisis, the biggest breakdown I ever had, I started my company in 1983. Yes, I said we had 12 years of miserable disaster. Well, why did we have that? 1983, everything looked like it was going well. 1988, we were actually about to break even. And I wake up on December 12th and find out that my dad's been killed in a car accident. Yeah. And that's not, that's not something that you are expecting. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because I'm looking for sympathy or anything like that. I'm saying that because when that happened, all the rules went out the window for me. And I decided I had to go back to the United States. And my partner and I couldn't keep the company together and the company started to crash. Yeah, and it wasn't until two and a half years later I was able to pull everything back together and actually come back and fix things up and turn them around. So, you know, a crisis can be a death. A crisis can be a uh, a client who goes bankrupt on you and takes. I mean, I, I certainly one of the crises I remember very clearly was um, my second company was doing actually quite well, and we had a very large client, massive client. We were super happy that we won them. They were fantastic. It was big, big name. And one day, and I was getting nervous, they hadn't paid 250,000 euros to me. Now, we were not a big company. We were only, you know, maybe 2 million euros business at that point, maybe not even. And our profit was probably nowhere near more than 5 to 7%. So 250,000 euros was all my profit and all my working capital and, you know, and the guy said on Monday, I'll be, don't worry, the money's coming tomorrow. And on Tuesday, when I said it's not here, he said, I have, I'm sorry, we just declared bankruptcy. Yeah. And then the money was gone. Yeah. It was just completely gone. And, and so what do you do when that happens? You know, and it was interesting. I called one of my most experienced business advisors at that time. And I said, I said, Norman, what do you think I should do? I mean, should I sue them? He said, Andy, here's what you should do. Forget about it. Don't spend a second of your time worrying about it. It's going to be years before you ever see any of that money again. Go out and make more money. Go out and work harder. Yeah? And so, you know, and that was a crisis for me. So this is, I think, the essential thing to say, well, is Corona a crisis for you? Because I'll tell you something. There's a lot of startups out here where they're going to look back in five years and they're going to say the best thing that ever happened to me was the Corona virus. Because we completely pivoted, we completely changed our way of working, we completely we changed our business model completely, yeah. And so, and there's and there's a lot of things that are coming out of this. When you say what's the breakthrough, right? It's not, the, and why I'm saying every every breakdown, not every breakdown is a crisis. Okay, it is more the question of dealing with every problem as regardless of the size of it, as though it is a breakthrough. Will you find the breakthrough every time? Certainly not. 
But if you're looking for it, then your attitude of, oh my, it's not, oh my God, failure. Oh my God, this is the most horrible thing. What am I going to do? It's like, where is the breakthrough in this? What is coming that I don't see that wouldn't have been there if this problem didn't exist? And by the way, you know, from a pure entrepreneurial perspective, as an entrepreneur, you know, if your client doesn't have a problem, they don't need you. Yeah. So you are the breakthrough for your client all the time. So you need to be able to say to them, what's the breakthrough? Well, it's the same thing. And you need to be able to declare that inside the company. And now the second thing is, so once you've identified what that you're in crisis and you're clear about you're in crisis, then, you know, you sort of come to the next thing, which is, and you know, what are the pitfalls that you might find? Yeah, that would have been my next question because you talked a lot about um, mindset, quite concrete actions also on how to deal with it. But I'd like to know from your side, what are things you've observed in startups when they do see there's a crisis, there's a situation, yeah. and there's a topic we need to deal with um, that might have gone wrong or where, where you would say attention? Yeah. I would, I would summarize all of it in one sentence, which would be if you're going to cut the dog's tail off, cut it off once. Don't cut it off in little pieces and hurt the dog again and again and again and again, because the dog is going to be so nervous about when the next chop is coming. And obviously you can see the metaphor, you know, if the biggest pitfall people make is they don't react deep enough and fast enough and clearly enough when the crisis hits, there is, you know, you, you really need to look and say, what is essential? What is, what is it? You need to be able to distinguish between what I would call necessity and let's say nice to have. Yeah. Right. Like I, I mean, I need a car, but I don't need a BMW five. Yeah. I can get there in a, I need, I need somebody to do marketing, but I don't necessarily need to have them hired. Now I, I might decide. And so, you know, what you need to do is you need to look first at, you, you need a, a very deep understanding of your problem. I would say hire the best legal team that you can possibly afford. Do not skimp on legal, do not skimp on professional services because you don't want to make, you don't want to make mistakes. Okay. Especially when you have to cut people, right? You need to remember that you're not a family, you're a company. Yeah, you, you know, when I, I mean, when, when my, when I came, my, my dad's accident was December 88, 1991, August, I came back because the company was technically bankrupt and I was going to close it. And then I learned a new word in German. Many people here on this podcast speak German. And the word was concourse for Schleppel. Yeah, for those of you who don't speak German, that means dragging along insolvency. Uh, we had missed the, we had missed the deadline to declare insolvency which meant that I was personally liable and that if I had didn't clean it up, there was a good likelihood that I would go to jail. Yeah. And so I literally had to make the decision. Do I leave the country tomorrow? Because if I come back, I get free room and board at a place called Stadelheim. Yeah. Or, and by the way, I've done a lecture. I've done lectures for five years in a row in Stadelheim in the prison for prisoners trying to, you know, get businesses together. So when they get out and whenever I get to that, part of the, the lecture, people say, that's why I'm here. So it's serious. Yeah. But I actually chose, no, I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to stay and I'm going to clean it up. 
But at that moment, you know, it was essential. I had to fire half the company on one day. And what do you do when you've promised people a job and they've done a good job? And, you know, and you say, and what I did was I said, number one, lead by example. I'm taking a 90% pay cut and anyone who stays takes a 20% pay cut. And by the way, this half of the room, you're not invited to stay because if I don't let you go, I have to close the company and we lose the entire company. But everybody who I've let go right now, if you need a job and if you need help, come back and I will help you as much as I possibly can. And interestingly enough, you know, you talk about every breakdown as the opportunity for a breakthrough. That day, we, we, had a, we had a company that was about 36 people and we fired 18 of them on one day in one, one session, right? That was that the, was the tail that was cut and out. That was the tail. And, no, and we never fired anybody else again because we had done the math and we knew that that was our, that if we cut that number, given the sales that we had, we would be profitable the next month. And that's literally what happened. We were profitable the next month. We never lost money again. Okay, so I would say that those two and a half years that I turned around that company, I learned more than I ever learned anywhere about what it really makes to make means to make money. But one of the people that I fired uh, came back to me and needed help with a job. I called a friend at another software company, ended up hiring him. Yeah, he became a huge success at that company, went out and, and joined another major software company, and five years later became my biggest client. That's, yeah, I think, so such a great, you know, yeah, to show that um, there are those breakthroughs and they can be on a personal level, they can be on a professional level, and it can be long-term. So whatever you do as a role model, the way you lead in this specific situation does have an impact on relations, networks, all of that later on. Yeah, and I, I think it's also, you know, like maybe uh, um, in German, there's a great word, which is Haltung. Yeah, what's my, mm -hmm. what's, what's my stand? How, how am I being? Yeah? Well, how do I, how do I show up? You don't have that word Haltung in, 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 in English so, so nicely, just like you don't have the word Ausstrahlung in English. Yeah, you know, you can say I exude certain things, but one word like Ausstrahlung, you just don't have. Yeah, so um. But what's my, you know, how am I going to be when I walk in, I have to fire all these people? Well, my view is, you know, when you have to let somebody go, it really is better for them and better for you. And it doesn't mean you don't value that person. It just means that what that person brings to the party is not what you need at the party at the moment. And, and look and try and understand and help the people to say, what is it that you're really good at? And then think and say, how can I help them? How can I put them in the right place? And that can be a breakthrough for a person as well, you know, being let go at a certain moment and getting a severance package and being helped into something else with a nice reference, it can all turn out very well, right? So, I mean, I think we've covered kind of now like pitfalls and solutions, Absolutely. but the big pitfall is, is not recognizing the necessity for action and not taking the action fast enough and not making the action deep enough. When you look at the current situation, so the corona situations we're in spring, summer 2020, from the things that you have just mentioned as lessons learned, what are things that you have observed um, in startups you interact with, in your ecosystem, where you would say, yes, they have done that, or they have even innovated based on the situation? Because I know you've written a LinkedIn article kind of like end of April, where you mentioned some, some breakthrough things that have been happening in this time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, please have a look at the article. You see a lot of great, uh, great, 
you know, vir, vir versus virus. Yeah, I mean, these, these programs that have come up from the government, from, you know, individual people, from companies to help people get to the next level to deal with it in a different way. I mean, my favorite example of a, of a fantastic pivot is a company that came through our uh, accelerator at the at the LMU. I'm pretty sure were also accepted into the German accelerator. A company um, that was doing um, they were doing events and they were selling tickets for events. Guess what? When you're selling tickets for events and there's no events, you have a problem. And what did they do? They actually pivoted the company literally. And I have to say overnight. Yeah, and they started a new platform called Meet Anyway. Probably you know about it. Maybe you've heard about it. Meet Anyway. Go look at it if you haven't seen it. It's really it's really terrific. And they took the entire meeting experience and put it online. Yeah. So you actually have a plenum. You can see the plenum. You can go into different rooms. You can meet people at tables. You have offices. And and they're they're absolutely booming. They're absolutely booming. And so that's something where I say that's a great pivot. You know, what aspect of what I really know I think it's important to remember what is a pivot. A pivot, by definition, I mean, if you think about it, you're standing on your two legs, right? And you're very stable. And what you notice is every time you take a step, your right leg kind of buckles and you start and you realize, I can't count on my right leg at all. But my left leg is really great. Why don't I pick up my right leg? swing my body around on my left leg and head off in another direction. It doesn't mean that I've thrown out what's my left leg. Yeah. It means that I've looked at what are my strengths and I've kept my strengths and I build on those and I take that asset forward. Yeah? And I think that, you know, if we, um, and that, that's what I think the companies, regardless of your startup or not, those are the ones that are doing well today. Yeah, I love your metaphors. <laughs> Very visual for all the listeners out there. Um, with regards to um, in in our pre discussion, we also talked about like um, digital and tech and things that you would see as long term that are changing in the workplace right now due to the situation we're in. What kind of trends do you see emerging there from your perspective? I think what, what the crisis has done is it's crystallized for everybody that the digital is literally not an option. It is the, it is the daily. It is the new normal. Yeah. And the fact that we, you and I are now here on Zoom and we're talking and we're, you know, we don't see each other. Funny enough, we're both in Munich, right? Okay. So on the other hand, what an incredible opportunity because people all over the world can hear this podcast. Yeah. And I think that Digital, trans, digital um, transformation is a, is a necessity, and a lot of companies have known that for a while, but they didn't embrace it, and now they don't have any choice. So what we see also with Deloitte Digital is we see massive movement, massive amounts of money going towards making digital transformation happen. Yeah? So, and that's on every single different level. That's on the level of how do I deal with my employees that are working at home now, and that's, by the way, a myth that has been exploded, if I had to say the biggest and best thing that happened from the corona crisis is the myth of you can't work at home is gone. Yeah, just simply exploded. People are working perfectly at home. The amount of ridiculous travel that we're doing, I hope it never comes back again because 90% of it can be done without it. Yes, it's, of course it's important to see people not shake their hands but hit their elbows or whatever we're doing today. Yes, it's nice, but you know we don't need that. And that digital, that 
So digital transformation is going from how does my workforce work and what tools do they need? Then it's going into how do I get in, how do I deal with my clients and how do I give my clients a digital experience because they're not going to necessarily come or want me walking into the office anymore. So I need to digitize my supply chain. I need to digitize my my uh, customer uh, management. Yeah, And so obviously massive increases in CRM systems coming how do I how do I now market online? So massive changes and and money going towards digital marketing, right? And then you know, and how do I even how do I collect my money? Am I doing the right things to get my money in? Do I understand where the tops and bottoms are? What which one of my factories is producing slower than others and why? And I can analyze all that. So you know, I just named like seven different areas of startups where there can be you know, there's ten different unicorns that, that will come up in every single one of those. You know, let's take German Accelerator, Salonis, right? I mean, Salonis is simply, you know, doing data mining. Yeah? And so if you don't data mine, then you're not going to understand how to deal with your clients. So I think that that's kind of like what the um, digital transformation piece is. If we go to the next step and say, well, how does that show up for me as a leader? Yeah then I think that to be a leader, you also need to understand value. You have to really understand what is the value that you are going to provide to your client and how do you show, and that's also the beauty of the digital transformation is, digital is almost by definition incredibly measurable, right? I mean, it used to be that you had a really smart guy or gal who said, put that pretty, girl, boy, dog, whatever, on the magazine, and I tell you we're going to sell lots more products. Well, that's completely gone. Now you have a data analyst who's saying, this is the number of people who click on the dog, here's the people who click on the the man, and here's the people who click on the woman. So let's obviously put the dog and the child on the thing, right? That kind of leadership means you're showing somebody where's value, yeah? And I think that also goes for, for your employees and the people you're working with. Yeah? That, that to be a leader today, you need to be present, yeah? but you don't need to be physically present. So you know, I think people who are not staying in touch you know, at, at Deloitte Digital, we have a big picture meeting now every Wednesday from 8.30 to 9 o'clock where I just come on the screen and I tell everybody what's going on in the week and what's going to be going on the next week. And we used to have a big problem because half our team was in Berlin and half our team was in Munich. That problem disappeared. Nobody yeah. talks about that it's all anymore because yeah. everybody's on the screen. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, and then maybe just sort of as a last point, but you know, we, maybe a lot of we people can ask. Stop. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> we can. Um, I just, just don't want to run over your time without. Oh, no worries. No, we're still good in time. I would be curious to dig a bit deeper on the leadership topic, and then we will look at, okay, finalize uh, the interview. We'll uh, look at also your personal situation. So on the, the leadership topic right now, because I know lots of listeners are people who are also possibly thinking about applying to the German Accelerator. So startups rather at earlier stages or stages where thinking about internationalization. And um, I'll be curious to hear what are recommendations you have to leaders, founders, or already they probably have already one or two layers, um, especially in these times where you would say based on your own personal recommendation, so you wish you had known that if you were at such an earlier stage. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a great question. I, I, I said at the very beginning, you know, I do wish I had had the German. I wish I had had the American accelerator. 
uh, when I came to Germany, somebody who picked me up and, and introduced me to the right people and gave me mentors and connected me to, to financing sources and, and to customers and things like that. So I think that it's very important to be honest with yourself as a startup about where you are in your growth stage. I mean, my experience is that you really, it's very, very difficult to do anything in less than three years. Now, I know that when you're starting, you know, that might seem like a long time. When you've been in business for 35 years, three years doesn't <laughs> seem like a long time anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, it's only a tenth of the, not even a tenth of the time you spend. Yeah. And you see how quickly it goes by. So, and I'm not saying you have to be three years old to, to come join the, the German accelerator. Certainly not. But I think you need a certain level of maturity to be able to deal with the, what the program is about, right? It's like the program is really there to create category leaders, yeah? to help you become a category leader. And to become a category leader, you probably need to be in the U.S. market. You probably need to be in the Asian market. You probably need to be in the Indian market. And that's why we have next step programs and we have we have next step programs so that people can understand in a short period of time, am I ready to go do the big program? Now, today, also, you have the benefit that the program is becoming much more virtual. We've used the crisis as a huge breakthrough to upscale our learning abilities, upscale our, our online capabilities of dealing with founders in different parts of the world all at the same time. So it's been a big up, up, uh, uplift for us in our capabilities. But the core of what I'm coming to is essentially you want to be asking yourself the question, if I left my company today and I moved to the United States or I moved to Singapore, yeah, would everything be okay? Because if you look back at what happened to me, you know, it wasn't a nice situation, quite the opposite. It was really tragedy to, you know, at the age of 50 to lose somebody like my dad, it was my you know, closest confidant in business and so forth. Yeah. And, and for him and for the family and everything, but I left the country and I left the, you know, and I, and now, okay, there wasn't the internet and there wasn't all those things at that point. Right. But essentially from a good perspective, you also need to make sure that the company you're leaving is strong enough to deal with you moving to another country and being there and opening up. Right. Is it strong enough from a cash flow perspective? Is it strong enough from a leadership perspective? Yeah, are you going to be able to? And now again, you know, another breakthrough, right? If you've gone virtual, people may not notice so much that you've left. Yeah, it might be a complete upside for you now because whether you're on Zoom from the United States or whether you're on Zoom from Singapore doesn't really make any difference. But are you financially strong enough, right? I mean, do you? you I don't know that you want to be applying to the German accelerator when you're on your last ten thousand euros, right? We don't want that. We don't want to be. We don't want to be the cause you know, for you going there. And and I think then the question also is your product far enough along? Have you really checked out the product market fit? Because there's a lot of product market fit that you can do. And this is also why we're building up our education system right now is to help people to get through these stages to be able to identify when am I ready to do what? Yeah. And then, you know, and it's even down to to points of, of very, very important things like vision. Do I have the right vision? Okay. And, and so those are all the kinds of things that, that I think that what we're trying to do is we're trying to broaden the offering to entrepreneurs so they can look and say, am I ready for a next step? Am I ready for a, you know, a course 
four-day course that we're you know building right now? Am I ready for the full program, which is three to six months in another country? Yeah. So um, I think that those are the kind of questions that people need to be asking themselves. Yeah. So lots of food for thought for, for listeners, for, for leaders also. Lots of great insights in our conversation. To wrap up, I'd like to move more on a on a personal note, even though you have sure shared already quite lots of personal stories, but just the fact, you know, you're an American, haven't been in Europe for more than 35 years, you mentioned. It's um it's curious and it's interesting. And I would be um interested in hearing more of like what drew you to Europe? You've mentioned a bit, but the main question, what kept you here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. So, I mean, first of all, let's keep in mind, I, I really studied entrepreneurship and I really studied international business. So obviously I wanted to go abroad, right? It was a, it was a desire of mine. I, I wanted to see uh, other parts of the world and I wanted to learn how to do things internationally. So, I mean, And I think that's an important thing to ask yourself, do I want international, right? I mean, you can build absolutely brilliant companies at home, be wildly successful, you know, uh, and, and, and then let other people do the internationalization. It doesn't have to be you. So what's your, what's your own ambition? But my ambition was definitely um, international. What I think, what I think, um, and what, what brought me was also the fact that the business that I defined was by definition an international business. I was going to take a U.S. product and I was going to internationalize it. And I didn't think it was authentic to try and do that from the United States and pretend that I understood a foreign market when I wasn't even in it. Yeah. So, so it, my, my business dictated that I needed to be in the international market yeah, by, by definition. Um, And what kept me here, I think, is a is a combination of different things. Um, interestingly, you know, I talk about every breakdown is the opportunity for a breakthrough. Funny enough, when I got here, I really didn't like it. And I really didn't understand what was going on. And I didn't speak the language. And it was very, very difficult. And I was extremely young. I was 21 to 20. You know, by the time that the accident happened, I was 27 or whatever, how old I was. And And really, I spent about three years or four years thinking I really want to go home is what I was thinking. And and I actually had decided that I did that I was going to go home. And just at that moment, of course, I happened to meet my wife and things start to turn around. So one of the things that kept me here was actually, you know, having people around me that I care about. Yeah. And all of a sudden realizing, wow, I really enjoy this place. I really And then, you know, tragedy strikes and I do move back to the United States. And it's very interesting. Once you, my observation is once you've been somewhere out of your country for more than five years, you're not the same when you go back. You're really, really not the same. Yeah? And you start to see things that are very, very different. And when I moved back to the States, there were a lot of things that I didn't like. And I have to say, unfortunately, a lot of things that are coming up today. That are, that are turning up. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what's going on with the race issues in the United yeah. States, this is not a new issue. This is a super old issue. This is something that should have been handled 25, 30 years ago. I mean, um, those kinds of things that are happening. You know, there were a lot of things that I just didn't, that I noticed that I didn't notice when I left. Yeah, And then I sort of said, I actually like Europe better. Why? Because, because I can get in an airplane and in an hour or two hours, I'm in London, Paris, Rome. If I'm in Philadelphia, I get in the plane and I fly for an hour, hour, an hour and a half. I end up in, o in Ohio. Yeah. I mean, nothing against Ohio, by the way, you know, I mean, Cleveland's a 
a beautiful city and everything, but it's not Paris. Okay. So, you know, and at some point you kind of say, you know, and then what life happens, you know, children are born and, and all of a sudden, you know, and also I think what also happened to me is that my second company really was successful. And when success came after so many years, I didn't want to give it up. And when you can start to enjoy where you're living and getting the benefits out of it and things like that, you end up saying, you know what, maybe I shouldn't, you know, do I really want to uproot myself again and move back? And so I think that it's also something to think about for people. It's like when you, you know, if you had asked me whether or not, you know, when at 21, if you had asked me where I was going to be when I was 25, I would have told you I was going to be in the United States and be a, you know, a multimillionaire by that point, just like Bill Gates. And I would have been back and successful and everything. And when I was 25, where was I? I was in Germany deeply in debt and I couldn't even leave. Right. So, I mean, you know, life doesn't, you know, I, I like to say to people, you know, you can get where you want to go. You just can't get there the way you think mm-hmm. you're going to get there. And that yeah. is sort of maybe, you know, the whole thing about crisis is that, you know, life has things, different things planned for all of us. And my dad, my dad had a great saying, uh, which was the only thing you can count on is change. And if you're not open to change, don't become an entrepreneur. With those wise words from your dad, and I'm sure many entrepreneurs around the world can agree to that, um, I would like to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time and for sharing all your insights. It's been really a pleasure, and I uh, am happy for you know everyone who explores our program, everyone who joins our program, and everyone who tells other people about our program. And I very much appreciate your help today, Katrin, your terrific interviewer. It's a pleasure working with you. Thank you. Thank you for plugging in to the sounds of founders, innovators, and changemakers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Startup Stereo, powered by German Accelerator. We would love to hear your feedback to improve the experience for you over the next episodes, and we hope you're as excited as we are for more. If you want to find out more about German Accelerator, follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook, and check out our website, germanaccelerator.com.